Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Matt, welcome to another episode, and along with all the listeners, welcome back to another episode. Well, I'm glad you'd welcome me. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for coming in today, Matt. This yeah, is good. Everybody's welcome, but especially me showing up to the office to be in our uh, studio at the right time. Right, right, right. No, it's, But you're uh, welcome too, Justin, <laughs> to be clear. Welcome to the flow line. Right. And everyone out there that's listening, hopefully you got a good chuckle today. And you know, it's hard. I was kind of spinning my wheels trying to figure out how to open this episode up. But I mean, the Astros, Matt, since the last time we've talked and that we were on the uh, flow line here, the Astros got away with, an, well, I say got away, but they huh. earned a World Series championship, Matt. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, uh, so this amazing thing happened. They won the World Series with probably one of the best bullpens oh, ever. Right. And Jordan, who my son calls my Don. I love how he's <laughs> learning how to like just... transfer na- nouns. Anyways, it's he hit his Jordan. Big home run. Yeah. And, you know, we'll watch the videos. I'll be like, Jordan, how did it hit a big home run? I'll be like, my Don hit a big home run. It's great. <laughs> Cutest thing ever. Yeah. So anyways, we laughed, we cried, we celebrated, got to go to the parade it was just one huge party if you were in Houston. Great times. So my oldest son's middle name is Morton after Charlie Morton, the pitcher that closed out Game 7 of the World Series in 2017. Ah, my right. youngest, his middle name is Brantley after Michael Brantley, who was on this team but got injured. So he still gets a ring and he was at the parade and everything. And so I was very happy. But they need to re-sign Michael Brantley because I don't have plans on having more kids. I was going to um, say, if uh, there's another kid, who would you name it after this time? Hypothetically speaking, for this series, you know, who would you put up on the name? It depends. List? Like, it's sort of heavy because we didn't know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl, but girl middle name was potentially Presley, which I mean, that he was awesome, but his nickname was Stressley for a while. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, that was kind of in the air as a middle name. We thought Brantley could also kind of be a girl's middle name. And I really like Michael Brantley. So, anyways, it would depend on gender and other things as far as hypotheticals go. And I also, you know, it's like as much as you love some of these players, you're like, okay, I get it, but that's weird. Like, I like the like double could be, but it's actually special. Yeah. As opposed to like your kid's middle name is Valdez or, you know, like, like well, <laughs> or Jose. Valdez or, yeah, or like Altuve. Altuve. I mean, right. they, they know what you were talking about, but it's also just seems a little, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Altuve Offenbacher. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's got a ring to it. But either way, I mean, it's stuff. These are important life decisions that you have to think about. I mean, absolutely. Now that they've won another World Series, I mean, the legacy continues. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess, you know, kind of looking forward into next year. I mean, do you know of any big changes to the roster? Or is it kind of the same crew coming back or any so Rafael Montero, as much as I love him, we paid him a lot of money like we love him even more. So he'll be back. And then the questions right now, of course, who knows when this comes out? What are we going to do at first base? Yuli Gurriel's up there. He got injured right at the end of the season. The one thing is, you know, he's like Cuban royalty. Like every Cuban baseball player has their pocket out the way he does and everything. Like it would be awesome to have him at least stay part of the team and kind of represent that because I think it's just a cool story. Or maybe he takes a lesser role so he can get more rest as an older guy. 
Left field is in the air. I'd love to see Uncle Mike, Michael Brantley back, but he's another guy who probably can't play every day, but Jordan Alvarez has played some left field and done pretty well, so we'll see. A few other question marks, but not a lot of changes. Okay, so it's shaking up to be a pretty positive season then, unless anything crazy happened. I thought I saw something about Verlander. Oh, yeah. So Verlander is like obviously the big question because are you going to pay a guy who's going to be 40 a gazillion dollars and like how that affects how much you can afford to spend on other people, right? right? So that's sort of the question mark. So they let him go, then then obviously you'd free up a ton of capital to go chase some other folks? Yeah, I mean, because it's like Max Scherzer is kind of the comparable. Max Scherzer, you know, about his age, got a three-year deal for like $42, $43 million a year. You can do a lot with that kind of money. I don't think Verlander would get that much, but if he wants a two-year or three-year deal and for how much, but I think Jim Crane really wants him back. I wouldn't mind having him back either, but we also have a ton of really young pitchers who don't get to play very much because we have too many of them. No kidding. It was fascinating. Like you said, I happened to be downtown the morning of the parade and went downtown for a meeting, which was funny because, you know, the customer was like, are you really sure you want to come down? Because if you do, then let's hit up the parade. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So that was an experience of a lifetime. I couldn't believe how many people and just the energy getting to see, you know, riding down the float and the bands. Yeah. Mattress Mac was just taking selfies and filming the whole thing because I'm sure he was just absolutely loving it. Oh, yeah. And then I saw, I think a few days ago, he was wheeling like $10 million in a wheelbarrow somewhere. And he's got to be like, what a great just story in itself for this gentleman, you know, coming from where he comes from to now. And now he's like the face of Houston. It's hilarious. And he, he knows how to cuss out the competition too sometimes, you know? So if you grew up in Houston, the thing with Mattress Mac was he had these cheesy ads. Go on YouTube and see him. The but old like, school. you know, he like dress up with a mattress costume and he'd have like a wad of bills in his back pocket and he'd, gallery furniture really will save you money and jump up and down. And OK, I need to check. these. But out. the thing was, he also got involved in the community as he started to prosper. So, I mean, I remember him coming to my elementary school and he's still a salesman, but he just talked about. Being an entrepreneur and taking care of your customer is the most important thing. And like, I remember this from second grade, right? So this is what, 30 years ago? So like that sort of thing. So you just, he's always known around town. He buys the biggest steer at the rodeo for the kids' scholarships. He's not only promoted himself to promote his business, but he's done a lot in the community that everybody sort of, you know, he's become this beloved institution in and of its own right. Yeah. And then for him to be an Astros fan and <laughs> the deal was you got if the Astros won and you bought like six thousand dollars worth of furniture, if the Astros won, it was free. Yeah. And or you got your money back or it was store credit or something like that. But he hedged it all by betting and he won seventy five million dollars across like three casinos to cover it. Right. Anyways, it was like the biggest payout in sports betting history. Oh it was? And so he got like a few checks and wires but somebody was like, dude, it would be pretty baller if you took some of this in cash. <laughs> and so that was part that of the was, story okay, is, is the wheelbarrow at $10 million <laughs> to get onto a jet from Vegas and fly it back to Houston. Oh, my goodness. What so, a guy. I think there's a lot we could learn from Mattress Mac. Yeah. You know, he played football for University of Texas way back when. He was oh, on a national championship that. team. I mean, the irony, he said the thing was like my position was the bench. He was like, <laughs> I, was just, I was just there at the right time. Okay. Kind of thing. Yeah, like Houston legend and then like also to be linked to the Astros, like the rally nuns, you know, at the game. Oh, yeah. Ricky and I got our pictures with the rally nuns <laughs> last year. Like, 
Oh, yeah. great. I always love talking about this stuff because you always have, you know, being from here, you always have some unique stories and you know a lot about just like Mattress Mac and the Astros and Houston City. And hopefully the listeners can appreciate the knowledge Matt shares with us on Houston because I think it's absolutely the value in itself for entertainment is right there. Well, if not, they've already moved on to another episode, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, don't worry. Here we are getting into the mud side of things, which actually today I think we're going to talk a little bit about. It definitely relates to the drilling fluid business, but more so on the business side of what we do. And so without getting into the weeds on the technical stuff, I think it'd be good, Matt, and, and you came up with this idea, is what we can learn about earnings presentations. And you know, for the listeners that pay attention, you know, each quarter, if you're a publicly traded company, you release earnings, and then annually you also release earnings. And there's a lot of information in there that if you pay attention more on sort of the macro level of oil and gas or energy, or even if you're just interested in oil field service companies, kind of, you know, watching how, you know, they're, I guess, taking a look at their financial health to get an idea of, you know, whatever, but you can extract, depending on what lens you look through, you can extract a lot of good information from earnings presentations. And I think it'd be good to kind of chat about it. I mean, we're publicly traded too. So a lot of folks can go on to our website and look at filings that we have and anything that we do financially is public knowledge. And so uh, I think it's good to explain kind of what the importance of that is. To me, I think you can look at these in a lot of different ways. But I mean, if you're a mud engineer, if you're a drilling engineer, it's I do my thing, but it's like, well, what are other people saying and what are they comfortable saying openly? So, I mean, look, it's no secret that the oil field has had tremendous pricing pressure, right? But it's one thing to look at the challenges you face as uh, trying to keep costs under control in what you do. It's another thing to look around and say, everybody's talking about it. Not only is everybody talking about it, but here are some of the specifics because not already says the same thing. They say the same thing in different ways, but sometimes someone will say, the cost of drill pipe has gone up 90% in three years. That's huge, right? That may or may not matter to what you do, but it certainly illustrates that cost inflation is a challenge for the oil field. As a mud engineer, like, why do the prices keep changing? You know, whatever it is, it can shed light on so many different things. And, you know, if you're working on a rig and they say, we expect to continue our two rig drilling program, they're probably going to keep you around, you know? They're not going to lay it down, but big picture, I guess, and Justin, you listen to these a ton too. So this is one maybe we can have a little more back and forth on, but sure. Okay. So one thing I want to focus on is there is this huge stack of financials, you know, the balance sheet, like all that stuff. But to simplify things, there's also a pretty basic presentation that comes out. And could you just kind of talk about where you find it and what you look for personally? And I'll kind of talk about what I look for. Yeah, no, that's great. So, I mean, for me, looking at it is a lot of our customers are publicly traded. So the purpose or the intent for me to look at these things is first to kind of get an idea of their financial health, just to get an understanding of perhaps, you know, their balance sheet, what their assets look like. You know, that's all sort of, you know, good. I kind of pay attention to that. But really what it is for me is looking at their forward outlook. And a lot of times... Mm -hmm. If you look at their production or their expected CapEx for the following year, knowing and essentially to help forecast their activity levels, some will in their presentations will say, you know, holding a three rig program into 2023 or whatever kind of information. But essentially, if you comb through it, you can get an idea of what their next either quarter or year's activity levels are like. And for us, you know, we're constantly forecasting because as a, someone in the account management, then I can take that to our purchasing department and say, hey, based off my customers and, you know, the public information that's out there, here's what we expect if we maintain a certain market share with the customer. 
then we can plan our business and that's valuable for us. So that way folks in the purchasing department, like Lonnie, they can look at what their expenditures may be for next year. And because we're always trying to be as detailed and I guess we're always trying to make sure that we're not overspending, we're not underspending, but to be as accurate as possible, it all comes from forecasting. And if we can get more information from the customers based off what they released, then it helps us plan our business. So for me, that's one of the big takeaways for me in the presentations and where you can find that is any publicly traded company's website. If you go to the investors tab, they have it very well organized. If you're a data geek, you can pull the Excel file or you can simply look at the PDF presentation. And it's a summarized version of their either quarterly or financial report. And it just goes through, you know, high level, depending on how many basins they're in, typically one or two slides on each basin, what their production is, you know, what their CapEx is, what their earnings may look like, or their return on their investments for certain projects. But for the most part, you can extract a lot of information on what their plans are. So, I mean, these presentations are to investors, right? Like you're trying to promote that you've got a good plan and a good strategy. And even if the news isn't great, you have a plan on how you're going to manage it. Right. So jumping back for anybody just in case. So CapEx is capital expenditures, basically money I'm going to spend for stuff. So if an oil and gas company says we're going to cut capital expenditures, they probably aren't going to drill as many wells, depending on what they say, right? It may be that we're going to cut it in less profitable areas. Well, then hopefully you're in a more profitable area or, you know, they might just express, but it could be pipelines, you know, not just drilling a well, which is a lot of what our focus is about, but money they spend around their business. And if they're going to trim it, it means activity will probably go down. There's a chance of it or cost measures are going to be a priority, which may be something you say, okay, that's going to be the theme when we visit with these folks. Flip side, if they're looking to spend more, they're looking to grow production. That's another conversation, right? And so you go to that investor website and they've got the big, long, boring earnings report, which has a lot of useful information, but is probably too much for most people, including myself many times. Then you've got this PDF or slide presentation, which is pretty digestible. And it talks about strategy. And I've even learned if I was on the production side, you hear about like ESG and methane emissions and carbon stuff. The number of them that talk about how much money they're dedicating towards facilities to limit methane leaks, you'd say, okay, you know, this might be a good investment or whatever if I'm artificial lift company or something like that, right? So you see this is sort of a publicly stated priority and they've got some objectives and they're going to do something to get there. For us, a lot of times it's always about managing costs, right? But you mentioned the Excel drilling plans. So when you hear from different operators, what do you like to compare and contrast? Like a lot of it is just their forward outlook, what they're maybe expected in terms of CapEx is always a big one. And then two, it's always important to take a look at how much debt they have. That's getting kind of in the weeds, whether that means anything to us. But hypothetically speaking, if a company is just like hemorrhaging money, then us as a company, like we have to be maybe perhaps a little bit more on alert for getting paid. Like that's something that I think is important to at least consider. And again, it's not like we pick and choose our business based off of people's financials. And right now it's arguably most companies look pretty good on their balance sheet. But as this thing turns around, well, you know, it may be something that companies say, hey, you're looking or if you know if we're talking to the finance folks, say, hey, this company, you know, just want to bring this to your attention. Like I'm gonna make sure we collect on time just to make sure. I mean, you just 
the more you can be in tune with the financial health of your customers, that can ultimately result in the financial health of our business. So I think to me, that's something that it's important. And I'm just more curious a lot of times too, but for the purpose of revenue and sales and customers and stuff like that, at the end of the day, it's mostly just drilling plans and activity levels. And a lot of times the PowerPoints, like we're talking about, like the summarized presentation on the earnings, a lot of times they give operational guidance as well. That isn't necessarily like you'd really have to comb through and put the pieces of the puzzle together on the footnotes of the financials, like the true ones that get submitted to the SEC. But a lot of times, yeah, they may just straight up, there may be a slide of how many rigs they plan on holding for the following year. And really, that's the biggest piece is go where the money flows. You know what I mean? If this operator's plans on drilling a bunch, well, then maybe we need to put a concentrated effort on looking at getting into their office and making sure that we have the best opportunity to service their work if they're going to increase activity. And if all of a sudden someone says, oh, we're going from four rigs to one, and let's say we're on some of that work, well, then we need to start- Let's be the one rig, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then let's put ourselves in a position to give us the best chance of success. And so these are all really business strategy that I feel like we do very well because we're constantly talking about this stuff. Yeah. Well, I think the other aspect of it is if you're looking for rig gossip and everything, let's go back to the baseball example, right? So I've the big question is how much money will Michael Brantley want, right? Or Justin Verlander for that matter. But Michael Brantley has said some public comments, apparently, I haven't heard them, okay. that were like pretty confident he was going to be back. But no money's been discussed, right? Like it's still got to be put on paper and like we're not done yet, but these are signs that maybe they're talking or, or maybe not, like they could be rumors. But when the company itself says it and they say, this is our plan, they might deviate from that plan. Like, stuff changes. Mm -hmm. But the other aspect of it is, say, say this is like an overarching viewpoint on the drilling side of things. You say, look, I think maybe they're going to pick up another rig out here because they said, we're hoping to grow production and right. you probably need more wells. Similarly, you know, I've seen some of these for some of the smaller companies where they're as specific as we're going to run two rigs. One is going to run in this county and focus on our core acreage. Yeah. This other one is going to be over here and is going to drill several different types of wells. And so you can kind of say, okay, well, I'm part of that program or here's where I fit in. You know, you get that level of detail and it can be quite insightful. Right. And one thing too is, and I'm going to turn the table and ask you a couple of questions, Matt, because I'm curious, but also too, you know, and this is, goes back to some sales books that I used to read is you should always go into a meeting or deal with a customer where you know more about the customer's business than they know. And if you do, then you can really fine tune your solutions to solve problems that they may or may not even realize they had on like a macro business perspective. So, you know, if you're going to call on a customer or if we as a service company for a certain customer, we are responsible for knowing as much about the business as public knowledge sakes, because then that shows that you truly care and you're invested in what they're doing and you can have conversations and it's like, oh, well, yeah, I saw in your earnings, you know, you may be only holding three rigs. Well, what if we could save you enough money where you could maybe get that fourth one? And you know what I mean? Like these are just topics of conversations is if someone's doing work for me and they know a lot about my business, then to me, it's like, okay, these are trusted partners. Like they really truly care about our stability of the business. And this may be a long-term relationship because they're really invested and they spent the time to actually care about what we're doing, reading reports, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So I think the more you're in tune with your customers, I think that builds a strong relationship as well. I agree hundred percent. And I think just sending the message, we value what you value. And, right. you know, the challenge is the disconnect with some larger companies, think publicly traded, where a drilling engineer is like, look, I got to get these wells drilled. And 
say, okay, well, that's absolutely, but I was listening to your earnings call and it sounds like you want him done this way. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, you're getting a little into the weeds. It's like, no, like, hey, man, I'm ready to make you look like a rock star because right. I heard that and let's put those two pieces together and maybe they're like, I didn't realize that you could be part of that bigger mission. Yeah. I just needed a service provider. And you say, well, actually, hearing what your CEO said, I'm going to go over and work with Solids Control Company X. We're going to do this. And I think we'll have some great stuff to put together and send back to you. And so it gets them excited. It builds that confidence. And ironically enough, I think corporate mission statements are sometimes a little bit lost, but I was always told start with the mission statement. Yes. And repeat it back to them, Mm -hmm. which most people aren't even familiar with their own mission statement. Many of them are boilerplate, but some of them can actually be fairly precise what they value. Many of them were founded by individuals or families that had a specific set of values and that sort of is how they've grown up. And so it may not be the huge, huge company might use the most words to say the least, but some of them will have fairly specific things that they say mean a lot to them. Right. And it may not be that your customer knows that that, but like trying to draw from those values and speak to that could really resonate. You know, these presentations usually convey that too of like, hey, in two quarters, we want to be in this position wearing this hat. And then the other thing is, of course, when there's a big announcement, sometimes like very recently, one customer we worked for bought another one and they immediately put out a presentation on why they thought that was valuable and how it was going to make a difference to their business. And so, you know, granted, hopefully you get to stay on board with everything. But the flip side of it is like, okay, I'm on both sides of these guys as they integrate. Like, let's do everything we can to make sure that marriage goes as smoothly as possible because we're on both sides of it. Yeah. These earnings presentation, it was more interesting. I will say the comments are always interesting. Like the questions that get asked on an earnings call. Yeah. Transcripts read way faster than listening to the audio unless you put it up at like accelerated speed. Yeah. And a lot of these executives sound kind of funny for some reason at higher speed. So I I normally read the transcripts, but there's also Q&As. Yeah. You can kind of get an idea of what everybody's sniffing around. The Q&A I find is a lot of times the best part because a lot of times... They have prepared statements, which is what they'll read off for the first, say, 10 minutes of it. And then Mm. the latter part of the earnings call is an actual a live call where anyone, if they're publicly traded, I mean, you can listen into anyone's earnings call and you can listen to real time Q&A from investors or whoever decides to ask questions to the CEO, CFO, maybe CMO or CIO if they include them. So, yeah, you can kind of get some real, you know, juicy information from some of these investors that are trying to figure out, you know, what to do with their money. So they're grilling these executives. I mean, they likely have a decent idea based off previous questions that they've been asked. But yeah, it's pretty cool sort of conversation back and forth between executives and people calling in, asking questions. And a lot of times what they answer in the Q&A is not necessarily posted in their earnings report because it may be something that someone asks that's kind of off the wall or you know, maybe they say, well, we noticed in your earnings call that you mentioned this, but can you add some color to this to blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, you're getting a little more info. So to your point, the earnings calls are actually really interesting. I find them very, I guess, even entertaining sometimes kind of hearing CEOs, how they answer certain questions. And I was going to ask you, Matt, you know, we're talking very customer focused Mm -hmm. Uh, for you on the technology side. You're obviously deep into our product development side. How important is reading earnings or, or looking at earnings reports or presentations from like suppliers? Is that something that you do? And if so, what's the intent there? 
there's a few suppliers and sometimes it's not even our suppliers. It's the feedstock that our suppliers use. Sometimes with some of these things, one raw material provider provides like 80% of the global market. So like graphite, okay, graphite's big for batteries. Mm-hmm. So graphite's also a great well we're strengthening material. Like there's a place in the oil field for it too. Yeah. And so you can kind of get some background and say, I think this is what they're going to come to me with. And so that can be helpful. Or if they say strategically, this line of chemicals is the future, or we're expanding our plant. And you say, okay, well, how does this relate to me? Because there are certain things where they've said, hey, look, we're kind of making a shift. And it means, okay, we might have to tweak our own product reflecting the changing chemistries that will be cheaply available. Because the stuff I was using is going to get more expensive if it's not as easy to make. Yeah. So there are a few of those things that some of it, I would argue, is a little forward looking. A lot of it is maybe vetting even where they'll kind of say, hey, you know, this happened or this is kind of where we're headed. And then you kind of go look at what they're kind of telling the world publicly. So a lot of the European suppliers right now, you say, look, do you have enough electricity to make chemicals? And they don't know. Some of them, like I can't speak for everybody, but it's a question, right? And where are you going to get it if you can't get it there? Like just challenging them with questions and then looking what they've stated publicly Mm. can help. The problem is there's an infinite number of those things to look at. They can sort of become a huge distraction. And so I selectively pursue those things, I would say. Sure. That makes sense. You know, sometimes information may be valuable, sometimes it's not. But I guess at the end of the day, it's good to have our finger on the pulse of who's doing what. And again, there's a lot of a lot of good information that we can extract. And what we do with it is up to us. But sometimes it's all we have to kind of forecast and to look forward into the next quarter and next year. Matt, I'm curious, and you keep your ear to the ground pretty heavily on, you know, again, quarterly earnings and, and what companies are doing. Any sort of overarching themes that you've noticed since everyone released Q3 earnings? Not everyone's done, but for the most part, most everyone is. You know, the one thing that I can sort of see develop is CapEx is increasing next year, but a lot of folks' activity levels are remaining the same, which, you know, ties into the whole inflationary pressure things for a lot of folks. But what that means for overall rate count, it's really tough to say. But anything else sort of very generic that you noticed in case people are like, well, yeah, we just, this Q3 earnings came out and they haven't really maybe been paying attention too much? No real splash. I would say, you know, one of the interesting things it was in the journal Petroleum Technology, which is the SPE monthly magazine, just talking about maybe a big upcycle in offshore, not necessarily in the US, but given the energy security issues in Europe, the price cap on Russian oil, like a lot of these other things that are coming, there's a lot of interest in energy security that may involve more offshore. That was kind of an interesting take just because. I've worked offshore a few different places, but in the Gulf of Mexico, I just think of all of the rigs that have moved away or been stacked. And where are you going to get all those talented people? That's one of those things that, you know, always has me scratching my head. And look, the offshore drillers hopefully know more than I do. Right. It's another interesting sort of conundrum. And how does it affect us on land? You know, are they going to start poaching the best we've got? Yeah, that was actually, you know, another theme that was discussed amongst, I would say, almost all of them, especially the drilling contractors was just the people aspect of our business. And because there's a lot of talk from the administration about, you know, we need to increase production and, you know, we need to drive down energy prices. And it's like, even if we got just like an abundance amount of money to start drilling and producing wells, the challenge may not necessarily be the investment, which that's been tough. But the people aspect is, is, you know, it takes more and more people, which, 
you know, may drive more automation and things like that, just because, you know, for us to get where we want to be and these energy goals that we've set for ourselves here, you know, in the US and even globally, like, again, the people aspect, you know, we talk about, you know, enrollment with petroleum engineering. And I know you guys group and, and some of us in here do a good job of connecting with colleges and universities, not only even here in Texas, but Wyoming and all over the place to, you know, just make sure that we're spreading the good word about oil and gas and making sure that we have enough people to be able to produce the amount we need, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But aside from that, yeah, it's again, kind of an interesting topic. And if anyone out there is interested, any company that's publicly traded, just do some Googling. And if you're a mud engineer and you got a little extra time, read into it. And again, if you're a sucker for information, there's enough there to keep you up for Gossip a night for or two. days. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else, Matt, we can relay? I mean, I think the other thing is, look, you know, there's required filings. There's a lot of lawyers involved in all this stuff, right? And so the companies are going to be service company operator, supplier. They're going to be very careful in what they say. They're going to have a lot of disclaimers and that sort of thing. And, you know, they're qualified to say certain things and there's other things that they could say. They're going to approach very carefully. And so recognize that the reason they may be dancing around an issue is because they know better than to get into specifics the stock prices involved. This could be considered, you know, this affects finances and all that kind of thing. In the same way that you or I, Justin, aren't in a position to speculate about our own company's finance. We'd say things are going great, but we're not going to talk numbers with anybody, right? That's up to the big wigs and the accountants. And our CEO speaks for that in yeah. one of these, you know, outside accountants audited and everybody makes sure it's all clean. So all that being said, they're going to be careful about what they say nothing is for certain. And so it makes for great gossip. And it's one of the few places where you can hear directly from somebody what their plans might be. But it's also an area where you need to make sure you always have the context of what they say in mind. Yeah, that's a great way to close out is it nothing is for certain, nothing's etched in stone. The only thing that's etched in stone is the past performance that's out there. You know, it's in writing and everything else, but anything beyond the date of their earnings and you know, what they talk about future and even forecasted earnings, all that stuff is that could get all blown out of the water if uh, something happens. But yeah, nothing's set in stone. You know, again, I think this is just a cool conversation to have, Matt. You know, and if anyone out there also appreciates that, let us know. And again, let us know what you think of the episodes. If you have any questions, thoughts around anything that we discussed, or if you'd like us to dive in further, just let us know. You can hit us up on LinkedIn or you can reach out via email at the podcast at aesfluids.com. And with that said, happy holiday season, everyone. We're in the thick of it. And make sure you be safe out there, drive safe, and spend some great time with the loved ones. Take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.